Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. Verse 5, it makes an observation. It says a wise man or a wise woman, a wise person will hear That means they'll listen, and they will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. You say, preacher, what, what do these words mean? What are they referring to? We'll find out in just a second. Verse 9, or verse 7 You've memorized this verse probably years and years ago for several of you, but this is the theme verse in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. I want you to read verse 7 out loud with me. Would you do that, please? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can condense every single thing in this book down to that one statement, that one verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Because what you will see, you and I will see as we go through this book, it literally is a case study of the person who chooses wisdom in a case study in the person that doesn't choose wisdom, that chooses foolishness and their own way. And then verse 8, My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. We're going to see those phrases all through the book of Proverbs, how the writer, the one uttering, speaking these short these statements, they make an appeal so often as a father or as a mother speaking to children. Or sometimes we will even read, it's like a teacher who's speaking to their students, making an appeal for them to listen intently. And I can just, in my heart, in my conscience, I can hear the Holy Spirit's voice, not audibly, but in my conscience, where the Lord speaks to all of us and the Holy Spirit as I read Scripture. But yes, as I read the book of Proverbs, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Christian, hey, hey, my child, hey, listen, give me your heart, hear my instruction, forsake not my law. And then we have this promise In verse 9, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head. What does that mean? We'll find out. And chains about thy neck. (laughs) You're like, what does that mean, preacher? Does that mean it's going to be like a ball and chain around my... No, no, that's that's not the chain that is being referred to. So let me give you some statements tonight, some truths as we go through this very quickly. Truth number one, or observation number one about the book of Proverbs. 
The Proverbs are divine principles that help us navigate the journey through life. Notice with me, verse 1, the very first words of the verse, the very first words of the book, the Proverbs. Now, stop right there just a moment. What is a proverb? Think with me about that just a moment. Now, we are kind of familiar with what a proverb is, whether you may realize it or not. But basically, simply a proverb, here's what we would say, that many proverbs, and even those here in Scripture, are short, pithy statements. We, we, we have those even today. Uh, um, have you ever said to somebody, well, I'll tell you what, I remember a, a, a statement my grandpa used to make, and it was some short, pithy statement. Or my mama used to always say, boom, whatever it is. And so, so you, you, you say, well, is, it, is that a proverb? Yes, that's a proverb. Now, if you go to a Chinese restaurant and open up a fortune cookie, you, you, may, you may find some Chinese proverbs, okay? Well, what's that? That's a short, pithy statement. The, the word proverb in the Hebrew is a translation of the Hebrew word mashal, and it literally means a short, catchy saying. Now, gang, if I stand up here tonight and give you a short, catchy saying, that may or may not help your life. But remember, I'm not the one giving you these short, catchy statements. In fact, even though we know that Solomon wrote the majority of these, it's not even Solomon ultimately giving us short, pithy catchy, helpful statements. You tell me, ultimately, who is it who's giving us these statements? It's the Lord, right? Because remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16? It says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And here it is. And all Scripture is profitable. Every last bit of it, every single word, not just the clauses, not just the phrases, every word is profitable. Would that include, yes, even these statements, yea, these statements in the book of Proverbs. Roughly half of this book is made up of these kind of sayings of this type. The other half is made up of what they call in literature, in Hebrew literature, longer units or poetic units. These include instructions. You'll see that word all through the book of Proverbs, instructions. Hear my uh, instruction. These instructions are formulated as advice from a teacher that would address the students or parents who would address their children. Some Proverbs are collected together thematically, but not all of them. Others are connected somehow by a catchword, which is a word or a verbal root or a phrase that they share in common with the context of what's being said. 
others at times, others, uh, other proverbs here are, are, are connected because of similar sounding words in the Hebrew. Knowing the reason why two proverbs are next to one another can be a great help as you're trying to interpret the meaning of them. Now listen carefully. This is important to understand. While one cannot in every single case determine the reason behind the organization of the sayings in Proverbs, in many instances it can be determined with the high degree of certainty. And one important feature about the book of Proverbs or a proverb, a Hebrew proverb, is its brevity, its shortness. That's why most of these are not long statements. They're just short. Some of you are like, preacher, I wish you'd preach in Proverbs, right? Just short statements. So a proverb is what it is because it's short and sweet. It's to the point. The brevity of it does not allow the proverb to address every single thing about that subject. Okay? So please don't think, man, this one proverb right here, this one verse settles it all. No, no, you have to understand it in its context. These individual proverbs were not given to settle and answer every single question about that one issue. Let me just go ahead and, 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 for instance, one of the issues or one of the subjects that proverbs addresses is the subject of money. Finances, debt, even saving money. But I'll have to go ahead and tell you that here in Proverbs, when it addresses money, it doesn't address every single thing about money. But it does address money. So what do I mean by that? I mean that while it addresses authoritatively and divinely that subject... It's not meant to answer every question or be a, answer all the qualifications and exceptions to a rule. The fine print, as we would say, is often left to other scriptures for us to go and study about. So I want you to know that the book of Proverbs, it offers truth for error, clarity for confusion, Light for darkness, blessing for cursing, wisdom for foolishness, success for failure, joy for misery. It offers harmony where there's conflict. It offers confidence where there's fear. It covers a multitude of subjects. Debt, hard work, honesty, truthfulness, humility, foolishness. It covers wisdom. It talks about gossip and slander. It talks about greed. It talks about adultery and sexual sin and fornication. It talks about marriage. It talks about parenting, child discipline. It talks about proper treatment of the poor. It talks about authorities. It talks about respect. Uh, uh, It talks about how to navigate conflicts. Healthy friendships compared to unhealthy friendships. It talks about propriety, finances, 
true piety and holiness. It talks about integrity. It talks about obedience, leadership. It talks about confidence and boldness instead of fear. It addresses the subject of anger. It addresses the subject of self-control. It even talks about the scriptures. It talks about rebellion. It covers the subject of alcohol or drunkenness. It talks about addiction. It talks about responsible manhood and godly womanhood. It talks about scorn and ridicule and negativity. It talks about trusting in the Lord. It addresses the subject of worry. It talks about laziness. It talks about self-indulgence and a whole list of other subjects. Now, I'm going to give you a word, and then we're going to move on. I want you to think with me and just lean in just a moment. This is where we're going to have to think. Not that you're not thinking, but this is going to take extra concentration. It's the word parallelism. You see, in Hebrew literature, and that's what the Proverbs is, it's Hebrew poetic literature, or what we call wisdom literature. And on purpose, they would use what is known as parallelism. In other words, they would make a statement contrasted or compared or lined up beside another statement, parallel, running parallel with one another. We say about railroad tracks that they're running what? Those, those, those rails are running parallel with one another. Well, think of the Proverbs in that in that vain, that their statements or words or clauses or phrases that are lined up and connected with one another. So there are four kinds of parallel statements as you read through the book of Proverbs. There's first of all synonymous parallelism, synonymous, and this isn't in your notes, but you can write this down and just throw it in there, synonymous parallelism. This is where the lines of the proverb communicate the same idea. That's why it's called synonymous parallelism, but it might use different terminology. For instance, like in chapter 16, verse 18, it says, pride goeth before destruction and, and, and what? You help me finish it. A haughty spirit before a fall. Where's the synonymous parallelism there? Well, it's the same subject. It's the same idea, but it uses just slightly different wording or terminology. So there's synonymous parallelism. Then there's antithetic, antithetic parallelism or what we would call antithetical. This is where the lines of the proverb communicate a contrast that demonstrates what one writer called the black and white world of biblical wisdom. Okay, in these statements, there is no gray area. It's black and white. It's not hard to tell right from wrong in these statements. For instance, chapter 10, verse 12 is an example of antithetical parallelism. In other words, it's putting a positive concept contrasted with a negative concept. 
hatred stirs up strife. That's the negative. That's the black part. But love covers all sins. You see the distinction? There's hatred. What is hatred? Hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all sins. And then number three, there's what's called emblematic parallelism. Emblematic. This is where both lines of the proverb communicate the same idea, but one line is figurative and the other line is literal. For instance, chapter 25, verse 40. Whoso boasteth himself, all right, that's the, that's the literal line. We understand people boasting, or it's literally talking about self-promotion, or bragging, right, or over-promising, or somebody with an inflated ego. You ever dealt with somebody with an inflated ego, right? And you, you're like, I wonder if they're really as good as they say. So, it, it, so the proverb says, whoso boasteth himself of a false gift, now here's where the, here's where the figurative language comes in, is like clouds and wind without rain. Oh man, we may read that and like, oh, that doesn't make sense to me, but I guarantee you, back in ancient Israel, they understood that. They understood weather concepts, <laughs> meteor, meteorological concepts, right? When it comes, because man, hey, uh, I started to say Greg Fischel. Greg Fischel, boy, I, I miss old Greg Fischel. Can I get an amen right there? But anyway, they didn't have the weather channel. <laughs> they knew it was going to rain when they walked outside and there, here comes a dark cloud and the wind started picking up, right? But what would you think about that dark cloud and the wind starts picking up and it never rains? You're like, I was just sure it was going to rain. That cloud, that wind was boasting that it was going to rain and it didn't. That's the thought behind that proverb. And then there's what they called a synthetic parallelism. This is where the second line advances the idea of the first line. In other words, a statement is made and then booyah, here comes another statement that just reinforces the same. For instance, chapter 20, verse 4, it says the sluggard. The lazy person will not plow by reason of the cold. In other words, somebody that's lazy, when it's cold outside, they don't want to get out there in the field and go to work. They're not going to get out there and plow. And then it says this, Therefore, he shall beg and harvest and have nothing. <laughs> so I mean, obviously, if you're not going to get out there and plow your field, when it comes time to have a harvest, you're not going to have anything to eat. That's synthetic parallelism. Now you're like, CP, I am so totally confused right now, it's pathetic. Okay, let's just move on. So let me give you a note to remember before we move on to statement number two. Don't assume that a proverb, now listen carefully, don't assume that a proverb is an absolute guarantee. You're like, wait a minute. I thought every, every statement in the Bible is absolutely correct. Yes, it is. Every statement in the Bible is absolutely correct and it's absolutely right. 
But it doesn't mean that it is an exhaustive statement on that subject. One writer said this, because biblical proverbs are not intended to be exhaustive summations of a particular truth, a single proverb cannot be taken instantaneously as an ironclad, incontrovertible law. Certainly the book of Proverbs does describe what typically occurs in God's order, cause and effect, so that the listener can expect to reap what he sows. Additionally, whenever individual Proverbs testify to God's character, then you know they're always speaking with a guarantee. But when a proverb makes an observation about the world or about human nature, a world in which both curse and redemption operate, room must be allowed for exceptions. And that's important to understand as you start studying this book. Remember, gang, a proverb is a truism. It's a general rule or observation or principle that's true about life. So statement number one, truth number one, the proverbs are divine principles that help us navigate this journey through life. Statement number two, listen carefully. The proverbs were written by a collective group of inspired writers. Go back to verse one. It says the Proverbs of, and then it identifies, Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel. What you and I will discover as we read through this book, okay, is that Proverbs 1, verse 1, through chapter 9 are written, it says, by Solomon, son of David. Chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 22, verse 16, it says it's Solomon. You're like, well, why is there a distinction between Solomon, son of David, and Solomon? I don't know. But it makes a distinction. Chapter 22, verse 17, through chapter 24, verse 34, it doesn't identify Solomon as the writer of these or as the speaker of these proverbs. It just says the sayings of the wise. It could mean the sayings of the wise one. It still could be talking about Solomon. Or it could be a collection of statements made by wise people. We don't know. Proverbs 25.1 through chapter 29. There are other proverbs. This is what it says. Other proverbs of Solomon that the officials of King Hezekiah of Judah copied. Now, hold your horses. Hezekiah lived about 250 to 300 years after Solomon. So apparently, these copyists (laughs) under King Hezekiah's rule found more additional statements, wise, pithy, proverbs, uttered by Solomon and these cats got together and collected them and remember through divine orchestration and that's what you got to remember 
through divine inspiration and divine orchestration, God in his sovereign providence had these men collect these and assemble them together. Proverbs 30, it says, these are the words of Agur. You're like, Agur? Who's Agur? We're not 100% sure who Agur was. But he wrote chapter 30. And then chapter 31, it says, these are words of King Lemuel of Mesa, which his mother taught him. So as you can see, most of the Proverbs were spoken by Solomon His proverbs were delivered orally at different times in response to different needs. They were memorized or perhaps written down and circulated in various audiences. And then they were later assembled by divine orchestration and divine providence. That's why I have no trouble, gang, holding up this book saying, I believe, like I know what my name is, that the, every single jot and tittle of the Proverbs is divinely inspired by God. Statement number three. The Proverbs have clear goals in mind. Now go back to chapter one, look at verse two. Five main goals, five main purposes of Proverbs. Number one, to inspire reverence and obedience within the reader's heart. Look at verse 2. It says that, okay, Solomon gave these proverbs. Why? So that we would know wisdom and instruction. The opening words of the first section establish the purpose of the entire book in very clear terms, to know wisdom and instruction. In the Hebrew mind, listen carefully, to know wisdom simply means to put instruction into actual practice. It's to live it out. Failing to do that, failing to do what we know is best and right, is in itself the definition of foolishness. So God wants to inspire reverence and obedience in us. And then the second purpose, verse 2 He wants to teach discernment. Verse 2 says, to perceive the words of understanding. The word perceive is an interesting word. It simply means to discern, to separate or make distinct. That's the Hebrew word. Discernment is the ability to look at a situation and clearly see all the moving parts. A discerning mind has the ability to think critically, to distinguish truth from error, to anticipate the likely consequences of any given choice. Then he says, I want you, number three, I want you to develop alertness in your walk. Verse three, he says, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity. The original term translated here in verse 3 for receive carries with it the idea of mobility. Taking something along with you or literally hauling something along with you on a journey. In this case, the student of God's Proverbs gains instruction in wisdom and wise behavior. The Proverbs make us alert for the journey of life. 
anyone in here who has been doing much driving or you've been driving a long time or for several years, I guarantee you, you've had moments and days or hours where you've been on a long journey, maybe at night, Maybe you were alone in the vehicle, or especially you dads driving, everybody else in the car was asleep. And you're driving late at night, and man, your eyes just start getting tired. You ever been there? And, 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 and then you don't even realize what's happening, but you may even catch your... Have you ever caught yourself dozing? How do you know you're dozing? You get over there in the rumble strips, right? And then, man, when that happens, everybody in the car wakes up. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened? What happened? Hey, God says, if there's one thing that is required for your journey in this life to be successful, you got to stay alert. And so he gives us these proverbs to keep us awake and keep us alert. And then he says, number four, I want you to establish discretion and purpose in life. He says, hey, I'm trying to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. You see, the Hebrew concept of wisdom doesn't put ignorance and foolishness in the same category. You see the difference? You see, the ignorant person would be the simple one. A simple one is not a fool. They're just ignorant. They're unlearned. They're untaught. They're uneducated. But a fool is somebody that has been told. They have been taught, but they reject it. And so God says, I want to make sure that you have all the tools necessary to be successful in life. And then he gives us the last reason, because he wants to cultivate keenness of mind. Verse 6, notice what it says. It says, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, or in other words, their riddles. These proverbs will help us think keenly. Divine wisdom will give our minds a razor-sharp edge. Statement number four, truth number four. The proverbs are built upon a sure theological foundation. Look at verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is portrayed as submission to the will of God. Every time you see that statement, the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs, it's talking about submission, submission to God's will. And then statement number five, the Proverbs reveal the passion of our heavenly father for us. Now look at at verse eight. Solomon says, my son, my son, Hear the instruction of your father. Don't forsake the law of your mother. Here again, he's conjuring up this imagery of parents that are pleading with their children to listen carefully. 
I want you to know, dear one, that ultimately our heavenly Father yearns for his people. God has a passion for you and I to hear and heed his voice. And then the final thought tonight. Look at verse 9. I love this statement. For those who obey, for those who adopt and embrace and live out this wisdom, watch this, listen to this promise. For they shall be an ornament of grace under your head and chains about your neck. The Proverbs produce a distinctive blessing to you and I. It's interesting that the phrase ornament of grace, think about that. It literally is referring to a crown or what's referred to at times as a diadem. A a crown that is bedazzled with all kinds of jewels. Beautiful. And what Solomon is saying is that when you live a life of wisdom and you follow the instruction of your heavenly father as outlined in the book of Proverbs, that it'll be like a crown or a golden chain around your neck that refers to jewelry or like pearls. I love what Adam Clark said. He said the surest way to come to distinguished eminence in this life is to act according to the principles of the book of Proverbs. In other words, following the principles of this book will make you honorable in the sight of God and in the sight of men. And dear one, I believe that's where we all want to get to.